You're listening to episode number 17 of Widowcast with Joanne Philomena from Joanne the Life Coach. Welcome listeners. I'm so happy to be hearing from many of you and to have more interviews with other widows to share with you. These are real stories and experiences of widowhood, both my own and the stories of other widows. You know, the Kubler-Ross model of the five stages of grief as being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance sounds so clean and tidy. You get to do this thing first, then move on to the next and the next through the five stages. It even made complete sense to me some years back when I first read about this model outlining the process of grief. But when you become widowed, you figure out pretty quickly that there's no nice clean sequence of emotions. I even had other people start to tell me about the five stages of grief in know-it-all fashion. To be honest, I wanted to punch them in the face. How dare they try to tell me how I should be feeling, like it was reading the instructions on the back of a shampoo bottle. Be in denial, bargain about it, be depressed about it, and then you can accept it and be done. Lather, rinse, repeat. Over with. Move on. All according to the timeline of some bystander. You might ask yourself, how many times a day does a widow have to bite her tongue? I know, I know. But there's a sequence we move through, not the first weeks, not even the first year, through the years. As I begin interviewing other widows, I begin to see the patterns, and I understand now that it indeed takes time, a lot more time than anyone else would even imagine. They might think we should be over it after that first year, or even a few months in, but it takes years. And still, even then, our hearts carry a lot of grief and memories and questions. And even then, we are still having to face something else that comes up that we never expected we would be facing alone. I think through a lot of time, I know for me, through the first year, deep inside, I carried this little voice that said, he's still a factor in my life. On some level, we still think he could walk in the door any minute now. What would he think about the picture we moved? Intellectually, we clearly know the impossibility of that. Intellectually, we know they have died. But still, somewhere we think they're coming back. Until the realization truly sinks into our mind, into our soul, and our life some point way down the line of our widow journey, it's final. It's permanent. This is how life is now, always. It's then that we begin to shift our focus and find our inner strength to lift our head up and see the world as ours alone. We redefine who we are and begin to take steps at recreating a life just for us. Today, I'm joined by another widow to share her story, and her story really outlines this process and shows us the amazing strong woman she has become. 
I don't know if she even has acknowledged that to herself, but well, you'll see what I mean. Today, I'm really excited to bring you another interview today on Widowcast. We're talking with Anne Bachalia. She's a social media manager and virtual assistant. Anne became widowed about five years ago, this August, when she was in her 40s. And today, she's going to share her journey with us and what each of those intervening years has brought to her. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about becoming widowed? Sure. Um, my husband passed away at the age of 44. Um, he passed away from an undetected medical condition. Uh, so he was uh, fine and healthy one day and, and passed away the next. Um, so it, it was very shocking, very, very sudden. Um, and that was, uh, it'll be five years in August. So it was a very sudden thing. It wasn't a long protracted illness or anything like that. And you have children or a child? I have, uh, my daughter is 18 and my son just turned 21. So they were uh, young teenagers at the time. So what was this like for you? I mean, immediately afterwards, I know we are in such a fog and that first year can be so tough. It really is. Um, when I look back to the first year, the fog is the perfect way to describe it. I don't really remember a lot of things. Um, I do have some vivid memories. Um, one of the ones, and, and people always think this one is so interesting, but I remember after they had taken him to the hospital, um, it was 6 a.m. and I called my boss. And you know, in shock, I said, I won't be into work today because I think my husband just died. Um, oh, that one I remember vividly. I don't know why I had to call my boss and I don't know why I had to explain my absence, but, um, but I did. Um, and, and the rest of it is just really the first birthday you miss, the first anniversary. You know, as you know, the first of everything is really, really hard. Right. Um, but you just manage to get through and, you know, just keep moving along. But I really don't have a lot of recollection for the first year besides just really trying to get through day by day. Right, right. So the first year was kind of day by day and no major changes or undertakings or anything at all that first year. No, I was told by a couple people, don't make any major decisions in your first year. Um, right. We sold my husband's car. Um and uh, we stayed where we were, even though we wanted to move because he died um, pretty much in front of us at home. Uh, the kids and I did want to move, but we decided we were going to hang tight until a year or two passed and we could make the right decision and the right state of mind. Right, right. And you had mentioned to me about redecorating or changing rooms. Oh, yes. It's it just yeah I couldn't um because everything happened in our bedroom um I couldn't sleep in our room so my parents came and um we got rid of the bed right away uh bought me a new smaller bed and I decorated the entire room in purple I went as far away from the neutral decor as I could um I I needed a, a fresh start um and so the king went to a queen size bed and the room went purple and that is the That's only great. way that I was able to go into the room um, 
and sleep was to have it as if it was a totally different room. I could see that. And I, th I think it's so great that you painted the room purple because it's like you need something different when you first wake up and open your eyes. Yes. And purple can be such an uplifting color. Yes. It, it just, it needed to be girly. And for me, um, because it was really hard for me to go back into that room. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And you said in the second year, um, you began to make some transition. It felt more permanent. And you told me the second year was tougher. Yes. For me, the second year was a lot tougher. Um, I think because the fog lifts, um, you can yeah. kind of see, uh, you know, you know, you're taking it more maybe week by week now as opposed to day by day. And the permanency of everything, um, all of a sudden it's birthday number two, Christmas number two. And I think it just hits you that they are not coming back. And because you're able to see a little bit more clearly, for me, it just really impacted me and hit me that, oh boy, I really am a widow. And we're now in round, you know, year two. So I found for me personally, year two was very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's knowing that this isn't going anywhere. Exactly. I think that so often throughout the first year and maybe even past the first year, even though we intellectually, we know what has happened. There is some level inside that we still expect them to come walking back in the door. Yes. I, I know that sounds so crazy, but it's really there inside of us. It um, is. And, and, you know, even though I'm at the almost five year mark the other day, I did a double take seeing a man walk down the street. And it was mm -hmm. the first time in about three years that that has happened to me. And it amazed me how much it impacted me even five years later to see somebody. And I was like, oh, my God, does that ever look like him? Yeah. yeah, it really affected me even five years later to see somebody who looked like him. I get that. I get that. I'm in my second year right now, and I still mentally remind myself from time to time, you know, hey, he's not coming back. Exactly. This is not, you know, you're going to see him again when you go, but he's not going to come back. And it's just, like I said, it's the strangest thing that our mind tries to hold on to that, that expectation that they're going to come through the door. Yes. So I think that in the second year is when reality really does begin to sink in the, For sure. the, whole, the entire reality of the situation. Also, I think people who might have um, been hanging in there with you in the first year begin to pull away in the second year because now, you know, they, hey, they got you through the holidays. They got you past that anniversary of his death. They've got you past, you know, so they feel like their job is done. Exactly. And you're still dealing with an awful lot of emotion on all those anniversary dates that pop up. Exactly. That's 100% true. People assume that, oh, the first year's gone, you don't really need support. Um, yeah. But, you know, I know I've spoken to people who it's been many, many years and they still have a hard time around those special days, even 10, 15 years later. Birthdays are still hard and, and you know, the anniversary right. of deaths are still very, very hard. And if they are, they should be. They really should be. Because, you know, I, I've heard people talk about, you know, what widows experience. Not widows talk about this. People outside of having been widowed. People like therapists who look at this like it's a pathology, mm -hmm. like it's a diagnosis. 
<laughs> I find that personally, I find that really offensive mm-hmm. because I think grieving and being sad on occasions like that and having moments where you break down and cry still, this isn't a pathology. This isn't something wrong with you. This is just the process of mourning. Exactly. And it's as it should be. Exactly. So I'm always stunned when I hear someone talk about it like it's a problem to be fixed. And what I like to remind people is there is no right or wrong way to grieve. You have to do what's right for you. And there's also no timeline. So if I'm upset now at something, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just things can still affect you five years later. Um, Oh, sure. But I think unless people have been through it, they kind of look at you like, well, it's been five years now. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Wake up, Anne. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So after the second year, I think that's when you said you started to really begin to be able to transition year two to three. Yes, year two to three, uh, the kids and I decided that we were going to move, which was a huge step uh, because my husband really liked the house that we lived in. And he used to always say that he wanted to live there his entire life. Um, so there was a lot of guilt on my part because, you know, how could I think about leaving? This was the house he loved. And, and I, it, it took a long time for me to wrap my head around actually deciding to do it. But then one day I thought to myself, he did fulfill his dream. He did live here his entire life. Um, and once I got wrapped around that, um, the kids and I started looking at houses and we found one that we absolutely loved. Um, And we moved. And I can honestly say that moving in year three was the best thing I could have done, Um, especially for me, because it allowed me to start thinking about moving on. Really? Yes. It was just the, the thing that gave you the momentum to move your own life forward? Yes. Starting fresh in a new house. Um, For me, a new bedroom. Mm Um. And the fact that I could do it on my own because I was very afraid of, you know, all of a sudden you go from double income to single income to right. all the problems with that. So I was just very happy to find something that suited us, um, that I felt comfortable in. It was just for me a very empowering moment of, yes, I can do this. I can now move on. And I haven't looked back since moving. So it was really the best thing for us. And that is empowering, the thought that you were able to do this on your own, financially, mentally, all of that, emotionally, you did that. Yeah, it's such a huge step. It wasn't easy, (laughs) Um, but luckily I was in the position where I could, but I I really needed to mentally um, to be able to move on with my life. Yeah, yeah. So kudos to you for that. Now you're in the midst of year four. Year four, um, yeah, so year four has been very interesting. Um, It's the first time, so now that we've done year one, we're out of the fog, uh, you know, reality has set in, I know I'm a widow, I know he's not coming back. Um, Now that we've moved and we've settled into the new place, I finally feel like I can start thinking about me. So year four has been a lot about what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Um, you know, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to travel? Um, and I think a lot of it is I've started my VA and social media business that you discussed. These are all things that I've always wanted to do, but year four 
was when it clicked that it was okay now mm-hmm. to start thinking about me, not feel guilty about it, but think about me and my future. Um, it still amazes me that it's taken four years, but I needed to get everything else out of the way before I could start thinking about me. Right. So now you've really begun to redefine yourself and yes, create new patterns in your life. Exactly. Exactly. Um, That's and I think part of it too, is my kids are 18 and 21. So, um, you know, in a year or two, I could very well be here on my own. Um, and I need to start just thinking about me. I'm 48. Um, although many times, you know, I felt many times that, oh my God, my life as I know it is over. I mean, I'm, you know, 48 and my husband is gone. Um, you know, it took me a long time to process that my future was not going to be what I thought it was, as I know every widow thinks about, um, you mourn the future that you thought you were going to have. And it does take a while to wrap your head around, you know, your new future. I think there's some guilt that you're the one planning the new future and the other person isn't there. Um, I think there's guilt that you're actually planning a future without them. Um, but now I've come to the realization that he would want me to plan my future without him and that he would want me to, um, move forward and live my life the way I want to live. But that took a long time to wrap my head around. So now you've started your new business. You are able to make it about you without that guilt hanging and you're almost an empty nester yes which you know that comes with a whole new set of emotions too but also it comes with a whole new set of pluses exactly um yeah the emotions um like i said you know you you know people always have dreams for their future and i never dreamed mine would be being an empty nester by myself so You know, there are certainly emotions that come with that. And, and I'll be admit it, also anger, because you kind of, it, it puts in your face again what you have lost. Um, you know, you're reminded of what you have lost when you start thinking, mm-hmm. okay, it'll be just me. And then you're, you know, oh, we're not going to move to the country or we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that. So it certainly does bring about a, um, it resurfaces things that I thought, you know, I haven't thought about for a while. Right. Right. I think for me, you know, we had, um, Jim and I had talked about how much longer I should be working and making our plans for both of us to be retired and all those goals that we were working towards together. Once he passed away, that was gone. It was like all of my future plans were suddenly gone and needed to be rethought. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and that's, yeah, that's something that doesn't come easy and it doesn't come right away. No, it doesn't. Exactly. It doesn't because you have to process. I mean, for, for years and years, we're told, you know, save for retirement. And then when you retire, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And all of a sudden when, you know, life throws you a curveball, you really have to rethink every aspect of your life. And that is really, really hard to do. It is. And now what you're doing is more entrepreneurial. Have you always worked that way? Um, I've always wanted to. Um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always had this 
uh, business idea in my head. Um, but I've always pushed it aside, pushed it aside. And then I was in uh, a corporate role. And um, a couple months ago, they restructured my team and I was let go. And it was a blessing in disguise because now I'm following my dream. And um, I feel really, really happy. Very, That's amazing. Very happy. Yeah. Do you think it's something you would have tackled if you were still a couple? No. Probably not. No. You see, I think the same thing. Oh, because I I left the corporate world to become a coach, and I don't know that that would have ever happened without becoming widowed first. And the interesting thing is when you start to get a little hindsight on that, you can almost see it like a gift mm-hmm. where, you know, it's it's learning more about yourself. And as you said, it's where you struggle to redefine yourself mm-hmm. and where you transition to. Exactly. But it's there is so much personal growth that happens with that that I don't think you experience otherwise. No, and I had a friend say to me a couple months ago, she said, you know, she's known me for 20-some years, and she said, you have grown so much since he died. And at mm-hmm. first I was like, well, I wasn't like a weak little person before. <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you mean? But then she said, you know, just your self-confidence, your determination, you know, your strength. And then I realized that she was actually just, you know, paying a huge compliment in that I really have become a different person, but in a very good way. Right. Not saying I wasn't good before, but you know what I mean? Like I would not have, I would not, never would I have bought a house on my own or bought a car on my own or or start a business on my own. Whereas now I'm at the point where I'm like, Hey, I survived the biggest loss of my life. If I can right. survive that, I can buy a house. Right. I can buy and a house. And I think that strength comes out of that great pain. It does. And, you know, hitting, I mean, you really kind of immediately hit bottom because it's such crushing pain and loss that to lift your head up again takes immense strength. Exactly. And I think once you've hit bottom like we have, Mm -hmm. um, it really puts in perspective all other aspects. You know, people get stressed over very small things. And I find now I'm like, oh, that's, you know, you can handle that. Because I think once you've handled what we've handled, so many other things just, you know what, if I don't get the house, I don't get the house or worse that yeah. could happen. It falls, it falls into perspective. It does. I was reading a post from a new widower the other day, and he was saying that suddenly he feels like he wants to stand out on the corner in New York City and stop every man walking by to say, go home and tell her how much you love her. Go home and do all the things with her that you, you two ever wanted to do together. Mm-hmm. Because to him the loss of his spouse suddenly was like his eyes were opened and he realized the immediacy of telling people that you care about them, that you do care about them, you know, that it's not something to be put off for another day. And I think that's part of it too, is our eyes open to the immediacy of everything If you want to do something, by golly, you better jump in and do it right now because you just don't know. And I think that's one thing. Um, I've done a lot of traveling since my husband passed. 
And a lot of it at first was um, to get myself out of my comfort circle. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be a widow and I'm going to be at home and I'm never going to do anything with my life again. And woe is me. So, you know, every year I try to go away. I push myself. Um, I travel with friends, but I do things on my own. You know, I'll go explore a city on my own and I do it for my self-confidence. And it's so true what you just said about the gentleman, because I remember after Darren died, I think for about a month, every night before bed, I would go on my social media channels and I would say, hug and kiss your loved ones goodnight and say you love them. Because I think people always assume there's a tomorrow. And as we know, there isn't. And one of my biggest regrets, um, the things that I was never able to do is we were always going to go to Vegas for our 20th and renew our vows. Now he died a couple days after our 18th or 17th. And to this day, that is my one regret. And so when I hear people say, Oh, we're going to do this one day, I'm just like, do it now. Why not go do it now? Do it now. (laughs) Because I mean, we were young, we were, you know, he was 44. You think, well, on our 20th, we'll go away. We've got our entire lives together. We'll be together till we're 80. And so my biggest regret is that we never just picked up and did that trip. Um, And that's what, so I kind of feel like that gentleman did. You just want to tell everybody, hug and kiss them because they may not be here tomorrow. And don't put off doing something that you want to do because it's not guaranteed. That's right. That's right. And I think that becomes like a big shift in our own motivation to try things and do new things and, uh, spread our wings a little bit. So as I've said before, widowhood doesn't have very many silver linings. (laughs) So grab onto the ones that you can find. Um, Yeah. And that's one of them, you know, that, that real strength that you find inside of yourself and uh, the ability to kind of, as you said, get outside of your comfort zone. For me, I have to, um, because I was so worried about what my life would end up like that I, um, I'm just silly little things, but I remember thinking, well, he does all the driving. Am I ever going to leave town? Sounds silly now, but at the time it was a genuine concern. Um, you know, so now I make it an effort to go on road trips and drive eight, 10 hours or get on an airplane and fly across the country by myself. And it's to prove to myself I can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you're up there in Canada, so you've got a lot of beautiful country to go look yes, at. Yes, yeah, no, we do. We do for sure. Yeah. But um, I needed to do that to prove to myself that, yes, he's gone, but you can still travel and explore and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every time I go away and I drive, like I drove through New York City last summer, I'll never do it again, but I did it once. <laughs> and, but the confidence, right? So now I'm like, oh my, if I can right. drive downtown Manhattan... I can drive six you hours can drive anywhere. to work. Except out. Italy. Don't try Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to go to Italy. It's on my bucket list. But, uh, you know, we, we need to push that confidence, right? We need to, to tell yeah. ourselves you can do it. You can do it. Because- and it starts little. I mean, everybody, you don't have to go out, jump in your car and drive New York City. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you can start small. For me, it was driving... 
um, a couple hours down the thruway into <laughs> Connecticut to go to the big mall all by myself. Yeah. Which sounds ridiculous. And I was not, as you said, an introverted little mouse housewife or anything. I was a pretty independent woman, a, a professional. And, um, but still, it was just the idea of doing something like that without my spouse. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was my first little venture out when I realized, okay, I can do things. And I can get out here and do things without him. And it's not going to make me sad. Yeah. And I'm not going to feel guilty that he's not here to share it with me. There's no reason for that. Um, and it's, it's kind of a neat thing. And how did you feel after you did it? Oh, I felt like I was ready to travel the world. Exactly. <laughs> there was one trip to yeah. a mall that was like the next, the next state over. And I was ready to just tackle everything. Exactly. But, it, you know, it was taking that step to kind of lift, begin to lift me out of the fog. Because that was only a few months after he died. Okay. Uh, still, you know, it was still early days. But that's why, like I said, it was not going on a vacation somewhere, but, you know, just taking that small day trip away from the house on my own, striking out, it felt freeing driving down. It sounds crazy. I was driving down the thruway and I thought, oh my God, if I get run off the road and killed right now, nobody's even going to know. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking how long before my daughter finds out she lives on the other side of the country, how long before she would even know. And then I thought, well, I guess it wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. And even that was almost freeing because I was just letting go of all the fear of mm -hmm. traveling or, you know, heading on down through the throughway, the freeways yeah. on my own. Oh, good for you. Good. Yeah. It, it is a good feeling. I think it's, it's such a sense of empowerment and you feel like, you know what? I'm not going to let you get me down. I'm moving mm -hmm. on. This is awesome. And I thank you for sharing this with us today because I think widows who are still newer widows in, in year one, in year two, like me, it is so encouraging to hear the shifts that happen over the years and that as we move through this process, we will be able to redefine ourselves. We will start to come through this. Of course, we don't ever forget our spouse and we may still be sad and grieving. I'm sure you still grieve to this day, Anne. Yes, I do. I do. But you are standing fully on your own two feet, which is an awesome thing. It took a while, but it's, yeah, <laughs> it, it will happen. Yeah. That's my word. You know, that's my, my advice for people is there are days where you feel like you literally can't get out of bed. I've been there. There are days where you feel like you've hit rock bottom. Again, I've been there, but yeah. it really does get better. It doesn't happen overnight, but it really does get better. That's awesome. Cause I was just going to ask you, what would you want to tell other new widows and that would be it right there. Yeah, it's, it's, and you know, reach out to other widows because we understand, you know, we're not a friend who says, oh, I understand because I got divorced or whatever. Like we, we truly understand what it feels like. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it does get better. Yeah. And you're right. You're right about reaching out to other widows, especially like, don't think, Oh, I don't feel the same way that other widows should feel. So therefore I can't open up to other widows. Mm -hmm. 
we all go through different stuff. Yep. Some of us are overwhelmingly sad and focusing on the wonderful romance we had, while other widows may learn things about their spouse after they've passed mm-hmm. away that infuriates them and hurts them deeply, and they're angry. And it's okay to share that, too, because another widow is going to understand that. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, and that's why you need to open up widow to widow. Find yourself a network. Find yourself a couple other widows in the community that you can connect with. Because these there are things that you cannot tell another person on the planet. You really can't. No. Uh, you know, you certainly can't tell your own family. You protect your kids from what you're feeling. But if you've got another widow that you can sit down with over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and just start letting it all out, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. This weekend, I was at um, a gathering where um, it was an anniversary of a local business, and I had a table where there were about four or five other widows that are friends or acquaintances. And we all kind of gathered at the table together to laugh and enjoy ourselves. And it, what was really delightful was widows tend to develop this gallows humor. (laughs) I don't know we would unleash on anybody else, but when you sit down with a couple of friends who are widows, you just kind of let that all hang out. You do, you know, and everybody gets it and it's, I think it's therapeutic for everyone. It's therapeutic and it's necessary. Just find even just one other widow that you can talk to. And that's awesome. And I'm so glad you joined me today. I think it's so encouraging for others to hear your story. And uh, I really wish you the best in getting that business off the ground, working as a VA and doing social media management. I may need you at some point in the future, Anne. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the chance to share my story and and hopefully help somebody who um, is going through this, this terrible time. And I'm sure it will. Thank you again, Anne. Thank you for listening today, listeners. Do you know that I offer free coaching mini sessions? If you go to joannethelifecoach.com and click on work with me in the top menu, you can click on the free mini session button. It'll take you right into my calendar where you can schedule a day and time for us to talk on the phone. I'll coach you through an issue that's causing you trouble. I'll tell you about my one-on-one coaching packages and we'll get you results right on that call for the one thing that's creating the most pain for you right then and there. So go sign up. Again, I want to thank Anne for joining me on the podcast to share her story with the world. It was such a pleasure. So go out there and find some joy in your life today. Until next time.